0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambule, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and I'm joined today by Deacon Patrick Jones, who's an award-winning author of Catholic fiction and the founder of Catholic Halos, and Deacon Doug Flynn, who is the Chancellor and General Counsel for the Diocese. Uh, before we begin our discussion today, Deacon Patrick, would you lead us in an opening prayer?
1: In nomine Patris, et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui Iesus.
0: Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora nobis peccatoribus, nunc et enora mortis nostre. Amen. So, um, for our discussion today, uh, we're going to be uh focusing on the topic of the Catholic Church's um traditional support and investment in um high high quality art and architecture. And the reason we thought this might be a timely topic is that um just today a story came out that the um the Knights of Columbus are going to um, kind of help fund the restoration of the canopy, which is known as the the baldacchino um, at St. Peter's Basilica, because um, apparently uh, it it uh, has gathered dust, cracks, and rusts despite regular cleanings. It and uh, like me.
1: <laughs> my skull
0: <laughs> well it's 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 fascinating to read this because um so it's uh it's it's about 400 years old and the the last recorded restoration took place in 1758 but um
1: it's been a minute
0: <laughs> it's yeah it's been a minute and as we know the climate and um Rome tends to be pretty humid and um they said the temperature variations really have uh done a number on the um on the structure. So
1: And that's you know, just but, a political climate.
0: <laughs> but we thought it'd be good to explore the, the concept of just, you know why does the church value this type of art uh so much? Um In especially, you know, in regards to the, you know, significant amount of um, funding it's going to take to to do a project like this. I mean, we know that the Knights of Columbus are are, uh, you know, an independent organization and they've they've donated millions of dollars to. you know, in relief funds to places like Ukraine and things like that. But still in all, you know, sometimes people will ask the question, like, is, is that where our money should be going?
1: That being to canopies.
0: Can- canopies or, you know, paintings, sculptures, um, beautiful church buildings, uh, you know, it, it all kind of...
1: Investments.
0: And, yeah, and music too. Um, I, in, uh, John, Pope John Paul II's letter to artists from 1999, he, he, uh, you know, he includes musicians in that as well. So, um, so, you know, it, we, first of all, I, I mean, I think, um, we can, um, we can start with the kind of the basic, Premise that the you know the Catholic Church is pretty much still the the largest charitable organization in the world, right? Um, between um, the hospitals, schools, um, you know, missions, uh, everything that the Catholic Church, in various capacities and through various organizations, carries out. So.
1: Well, and I think it's important, Veronica, because early, earlier you made a distinction of this type of art and modern art has, (laughs) um, I would argue ruined many people's understanding of what art is, uh, and can be and what the call of being an artist is and what beauty is, um, lessening it away from beyond the horizon toward infinity and down to uh well navel gazing quite often um <clears throat> and we're not talking about modern art uh and often modern art even sneaks in in various and i would argue quite ugly ways to what tries to pass itself off as church art uh and it quite frankly looks ugly it does not qualify as uh the good the beautiful or the true um and so there may, it may be possible to create art today that isn't modern, but is actually art. uh But the church has, you know, the, the amount of resources going to it has, it seems to me, dwindled uh, in the last uh, 60, 70 plus years compared to previous uh, centuries.
0: Well, that's a good point, Deacon Patrick, because, um, I know my, uh, my son, uh, who's in sixth grade, uh, right before Christmas, they were, uh, discussing, um, Michelangelo and, you know, on sixth grade terms, right? I mean, it's, um, there's you a know, lot of detail,
1: Ninja Turtles,
0: a detail left out, but basically, you know, they, they were, he, um, and i i wish i could remember uh, off the top of my head but um the the pope at the time you, you know uh, the the reason that at least some of michelangelo's great um sculptures came about was because the the pope at that time um essentially hired him to i i think is it was actually to create his um his uh tomb To to, you know that where where this pope was going to be buried, but um, uh, so yes, traditionally the Catholic Church has, um, you know, when I when I say traditionally, I'm talking yeah, going back hundreds of years, would support artists who were um creating uh, um these beautiful pieces for churches. And, and where, um, it, you know, in most cases, uh, they were, they were open to the public and could be enjoyed by many people. And yes, it, it definitely, uh, so, so relative to those times, the, the church may, may not be, um, supporting artists in the same way. Although I did see, just as a side note, I was, uh, Rousing the Vatican News the other day, and they're having an an art contest, um, inviting people to create the stations of the cross. And, and I believe the grand prize was $150,000. So (laughs) maybe we're going back to those times. I'm not sure. But, um, but yeah, uh, the, 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 uh, the church valued, and in fact, um, reading St. John Paul II's letter to artists. He uh, he says in uh, section, uh, let's see, I guess it's section seven. um, When the Edict of Constantine allowed Christians to declare themselves in full freedom, art became a privileged means for the expression of faith. Majestic basilicas began to appear and in in them the architectural canons of the pagan world were reproduced and at the same time modified to meet the demands of the new form of worship. How can we fail to recall at least the old St. Peter's Basilica and the Basilica of St. John Lateran, both funded by Constantine himself, or Constantinople's Hagia Sophia built by Justinian with its splendors of Byzantine art? So... I, you know, going back to our original question, why why does the church invest in art? It's because she has found it one of the best ways to transmit the truths of the faith um, that we need and, depictions.
1: And stained glass windows came about and also various paintings and architecture aspects came about for that very reason to they the the people couldn't read but they could understand the picture book <laughs> and the picture book was the church uh and so you made it the best picture book possible to one invite people in to the very form itself reveals god's infinity god's beauty and invites the soul to grow into that and uh veronica you'd mentioned uh St. Pope John Paul II's letter to artists um he's got a beautiful uh let me let's see I scrolled down to your to the quote you were reading this is a bit longer but <clears throat> it describes the artist's creativity and how that reflects God and therefore how the work of the artist reveals God which also reveals what our experience when we view art and experience art ought to be. And so think about modern art. Think about uh even some of the recent, uh, quote, church art, and ask yourself if it meets these uh descriptions. God, therefore, called man into existence, committing to him the craftsman's task. Through his artistic creativity, Man appears more than ever in the image of God, and he accomplishes this task above all in shaping the wondrous material of his own humanity, and then exercising creative dominion over the universe which surrounds him. With loving regard, the Divine Artist, uh, capital A, but little D, Divine Artist, passes on to the Human Artist a spark of his own surpassing wisdom, calling him to share in his creative power. Obviously, this is a sharing which leaves intact the infinite distance between the creator and the creature, as Cardinal Nicholas of Cusa made clear, creative art which is which it is the soul's good fortune to entertain is not to be identified with that essential art, which is God himself, but is only a communication of it and a share in it. That is why artists, the more conscious they are of their gift, are led all the more to see themselves and the whole of creation, with eyes able to contemplate and give thanks and to raise to God a hymn of praise. This is the only way for them to come to a full understanding of themselves, their vocation, and their mission. And one can argue various forms of art are the only way we can do the same thing ourselves uh, in whatever our call to answer uh, God's breath in us and reveal it into the world is.
2: Well, at the risk of oversharing this uh, beautiful letter from Pope John Paul II, which I didn't know existed, and the next time somebody suggests that the church should sell all her art and buy food for the poor, I'm going to send him this way. (laughs) Because as he wraps up the letter, he writes, Beauty is a key to the mystery and a call to transcendence. It is an invitation to savor life and to dream of the future. That is why the beauty of created things can never fully satisfy. It stirs that hidden nostalgia for God, which a lover of beauty like St. Augustine could express in incomparable terms, late have I loved you, beauty, so old and so new, late have I loved you. And then he turns to a final blessing uh, or exhortation and says, artists of the world, may your many different paths all lead to that infinite ocean of beauty where wonder becomes awe, exhilaration, unspeakable joy. May you be guided and inspired by the mystery of the risen Christ, whom the church in these days contemplates with joy. and May the Blessed Virgin Mary be with you always. She is the tota pultra portrayed by countless artists, whom Dante contemplates among the splendors of paradise as beauty that was joy in the eyes of all the other saints. So, he has a great turn of the phrase.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and, um, Digg and Doug, that that connection between art and... um, the incarnation, he, I, I think it, it's real, I was really, um, it struck me as I was reading. So in section five, he, ta- he does bring, uh, Pope John Paul II does bring up the fact that it's true, right, that throughout the Old Testament, um, there are stories of the Israelites, um, creating these, I, what you'd call like, you know, graven images. And then, and then God punishes them. And um, there's a lot more to it than that. But so so some people uh, would use that as a um, an argument against um, art what? that is very <laughs> uh, that is very uh, li- like lifelike, you know, that strives to um, portray people exactly as they are and and that kind of thing. But then in the next paragraph, Pope John Paul says, um, uh, the, the prime epiphany of God who is mystery is both an encouragement and a challenge to Christians and also at the level of artistic creativity. From it has come a flowering of beauty which has drawn its sap precisely from the mystery of the Incarnation. In becoming man, the Son of God has introduced into human history all the evangelical wealth of the true and the good. And with this, He has also unveiled a new dimension of beauty, of which the gospel message is filled to the brim. And so, when in when He was talking about that, it reminded me actually of um, a new sculpture that was just um, installed in our diocese at uh, Saint Gabriel Parish in Briargate, and it's a um, it's a. Uh, it depicts the Annunciation, so it has the Archangel Gabriel um, appearing to uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and it's it's very striking because um, it's uh, uh, in layman's terms, I guess, because I, I'm not a, certainly not an art critic, but it's very um, it, it's full of action you know so uh the the angel it, you know you can he almost seems to be in in motion as he's um appearing to to Mary and um it, i i i think it's really an example of how we 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 th- that um art is you know truly good religious art is is designed to um teach a truth uh, about the faith and so um you know and and it's also uh you know of course it's also the uh, the patron he's also the patron of the the parish as well but um so I think you know there there are definitely still there there is uh still uh, beautiful art um, being made um also a, a friend of mine who whose family uh moved out to the western slope a, num- a few years ago out uh in a little town called uh Fruta. Um, they recently uh got some people together and uh uh got enough money to um, install a shrine to Our Lady of Guadalupe out there. And so um, Bishop Berg from Pueblo traveled out and um, did the blessing back on uh, December. Uh, let's see, I guess it was December 7th, uh, just in time for the uh, the Feast of the uh, Immaculate Conception. But um, so I think, you know, whereas in the past um, it was maybe the, the the upper echelons of society kind of, taking the initiative on these things. Now it seems like it's more has to be more of a community effort um, where every everybody pitches in their $20 or $50 or something like that, you know, and, and these things can um, be accomplished, but um, there, there are still some signs of hope out there. I think.
1: There was
2: a priest uh, from South America and I can't remember precisely which country it was, but um, he noticed that when the communists had taken over, they had torn down or desecrated a lot of the Catholic churches. And when the people complained and rebelled, they just put up these, you know, concrete squares with four corners, sort of utilitarian, but no beauty whatsoever. And the people refused to, the the people, of this little village refused to go in there and they began rebuilding the church on their own. And, you know, they thought nothing of it taking 50 or 100 or 200 years. They knew that at the end of the day, they were going to have a beautiful place to worship God.
1: Well, and that speaks, Deacon Doug, to something you said earlier, which is uh, there are those who say, why, why don't we sell uh, this, the value of this and put it, give it to the poor Um Joining their voice in many ways with, uh, Judas, uh, and some of the other apostles, depending on which gospel you read, who was criticizing Mary Magdalene for, uh, putting, for pouring and anointing uh, Jesus' feet with spikenard uh, on his way to Jerusalem. Um, and one of the realities that the church has experienced over 2,000 years of living this is the answer that we serve the poor far more fully by converting souls who come to love God and learn that the best way to love God here on earth is to love our neighbor through our love of God. And more poor are helped because of that love of God pouring into love of neighbor than would be helped if we sold the gold uh and didn't have this beautiful cathedral or uh art that invited souls towards eternity, converted souls and then helped them devote their lives toward living the gospel
0: well and, and yeah Deacon patrick, even the you know the fact that um uh we we all benefit when we have these um visible reminder physical and auditory i guess uh reminders um of Like we're
1: on a podcast.
0: Well, yeah, the, you know, so I I'm sitting here looking out my office window and um looking at the cathedral and it reminds me of the fact that you know they they now um uh have bells that um uh, play and and I I think it's you know electronic I guess uh, electronic programming that allows them to do this but you know plays hymns um at various times of the day but we we don't um the, these are all constant reminders that draw us back to uh remaining more in the presence of God and. Thinking, oh, yeah, I should pray the angelus. You know, it's noon, or, um, you know, maybe for some people at three o'clock, it reminds them to recite the, the chaplet of divine mercy. But, um, you know, as Pope John Paul II so beautifully explained, this is, this is supposed to, the, this art is, um, yeah, it inspires us to, um, have more presence of god in our day-to-day life um to think you know think about him more to direct our minds more to god and um and uh, yeah it benefits it benefits everybody in in the city not um not even just the catholic people right it um and and so um the as, as you said it's supposed to it's supposed to uh and in fact uh to your earlier comment, comment kind of about the quality of the work um <laughs> one one of the interesting lines pope john paul ii has in here is that um artists who are conscious of all this no to that they must labor without allowing themselves to be driven by the search for empty glory or the craving for cheap popularity, and still less by the calculation of some possible profit for themselves. There is therefore an ethic, even a spirituality of artistic service, which contributes in its way to the life and renewal of a people. So, you know, he he saw the artist as really um a... A servant of others, just as much as, you know, a doctor or a nurse or things like that. And, um, going, going back to my son's lesson on Michelangelo, I know one of the things they brought out was that, uh, when he looked at a piece of marble, he, he saw his role as, like, in a sense, revealing it wasn't. Like sculpting per se, he was revealing the 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 uh, the sculpture that was hidden in there.
1: Free David.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Here's your chisel. <laughs> <laughs> now we know not everybody could do that, but um, but yeah. So so um, and 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 again to your point too about that uh the um that these things sometimes took to, were constructed over many many years so even more than a lifetime um and and uh i know uh one of the things that saint jose maria used to point out was that you know if you looked at some of the o- beautiful old cathedrals in spain um there were you could probably there were probably thousands of um you know men who had spent their entire lives working on that one church and never got any, you know, their name was nowhere to be found. So um, he, uh, now this is all not to, you know, not to say that artists don't deserve to make a living and all that kind of thing, but, but yeah, it was, it's, it's primarily um, seen as a vocation, not as um, a way well, to were, <laughs> earn money. <laughs> you,
1: you were you were mentioning the, the Vatican prize for the stations of the cross And it's $150,000. And I'm thinking, if you're doing that many stations and you're using some material, you're easily spending more than $150,000. So to enter this contest, do artists need to raise money in order to enter it so that they can cover their costs? Uh, I don't know that we're quite on par with understanding what it takes to create art. Uh, even in that example, which is trying to say we support art, but is it really?
0: <laughs> right. And, and w- well, that's so true. And when you think about the fact that it could easily take an artist a year to, or to, um, complete that project, right? Maybe it's not as generous. How many years
1: did the stations of the cross in San Luis Valley take and how much did it take to, to just fund the materials and time alone? Uh, I bet you it was more than one hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars.
0: Yeah, true. It's and not a... that,
1: not to criticize that, just that kind of thinking of we're not our modern mind isn't used to thinking in terms of multiple generations, and therefore you're talking multiple generations of livelihood to create something beautiful. Um, and and so the on the one hand the church says well you need a living wage well that ought to be true of artists too <laughs> whether they're seeking glory or not that's a spiritual direction issue but they ought to have a living wage
0: well especially since they're, they they uh, are are certainly not compelled to be celibate right i mean <laughs> they may have families to to support just like everybody else so um yes yes that's that's very true
1: I I did want to end uh maybe well we'll see how the time goes but uh there's a beautiful example of a calling of an artist um in something that that we're all familiar with the infant of prague and this goes back to uh around 1630ish uh and so war had come and gone in prague and the carmelites um had to flee and they left behind their treasured uh statue of the infant of prague and uh it was the prague was burned and and the the uh, monastery was burned and the infant was just tossed and buried into the ruins um of uh lady of victory church and so father cyril uh came and Cleaned the statue. He pulled the statue out after peace had returned to the area. And uh, so he was, uh, he placed it in the oratory and was praying before it, reflecting on uh, the incarnation, which we talked about earlier, which artists very much are, are incarnating uh, Christ into the world. Um, and he saw uh, the infant began to speak to him and said, have pity on me and I will have pity on you. Give me my hands for his hands were missing and I will give you peace. The more you honor me, the more I will bless you. So there's more details to how this happened, but, uh, Father Cyril was saying, well, we don't have anything. How do we, how do I replace your hands? How do I pay for that? And he was told, place me near the entrance of the sacristy and you will receive aid. And within a few days, uh, a man who had come to the sacristy had walked by, seen the statue and offered to help and replaced the hands. Um, So there's, there's the worship, there's the devotion, there's the understanding, the call to infinity through this, the, the statue of the infant of Prague. And then there's the call of the artist who sees the infant incomplete and that compulsion that need to create co-create with God and complete to the best of their ability uh, what is there is a beautiful uh, here's what it means to be an artist and um, and help that devotion continue and we still know about the infant of Prague and many people are devoted to to uh, faith through the infant of Prague
0: well, we're just about out of time for our discussion today. Uh, but before we go, just want to remind everybody that you can find this episode and all past episodes of Catholic Halos on um, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher and several other platforms. So uh, feel free to check us out there. I think uh, this will be our maybe 116th, 117th episode. Um, before we close, Deacon Doug, could you lead us in a uh, closing prayer? Certainly. Ave Maria, gratia plena,
2: Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus et benedictus fructus ventris tu Jesus.
0: Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pranobis peccatoribus, nuc et anora mortis nostrae. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast.